Welcome back to another episode of the Individuation Podcast. My name is James Malamus, so and we've got a great episode for you. Today is episode 6 of our 13-part series titled, A Warrior Born, the reading of the novel by the author Dylan Hansen. We are releasing it in a 13-part series being released every Tuesday and Friday. Without any further ado, Dylan, take it away. This is Dylan Hansen, continuing to read A Warrior Born. Chapter 21, Meridian. It looks like you won't show, Sarah grumbled as she fiddled with two wires. Her long auburn hair was set into two braids, and against the snow, the color looked more vibrant than ever. He will, I hummed. Ivo would do anything to get the favor I promised him. There she said, her honey-golden eyes staring out into the blanket of snow. I followed her gaze and found a man in a black wool coat. Fight, I whispered, and four voices responded to the blood and the bone. Let's move, I said through our comms. Three of us moved, Chloe trailing not far behind, waiting waiting for when she wanted to appear from the shadows of the building. You brought friends, Ivo said, his face wrapped in a thick scarf. They're here to help, and please, English. Not all of us speak Russian. I looked towards Sika, who flushed with embarrassment. Sika was my brother's best friend. He used to sleep on the couch in Elijah's room when his house lost its heating, which it often did. Like my brother, Sika was annoyingly tall. Even though I was at an above-average height, they both towered over me. His dark brown eyes were always kind, and his deep brown skin had a pristine softness to it that made Sarah jealous because her skincare routine never beat his. He was handsome, with, uh, with a slim jaw and high cheekbones. The code, Sika pressed, lowering his voice. Ivo walked up the stairs to the large metal door, slowly as if savoring the moment to torture the other man. Ivo plugged in a couple of numbers on the box that rested to the side of the door. Click. The door opened with a suctioned whoosh. Well, that was underwhelming, I mumbled under my breath. Cheers, mate, exclaimed Sika as he walked up beside Ivo his thick accent making the Russian blink. But the gentle giant waited in a doorway, ready to close the door after we all were through. Sika's eyes strayed to Sarah, who was covered in snow and staring out into the blankness, the flakes dancing across her hair. The sight made even me still as the tech genius beamed, closed her eyes, and breathed in the scent of the world. Sarah made everyone's head turn. Do you think Daisy will be okay out there? I jumped as Chloe appeared from the side of the building, shifty and quiet as ever. Her suit was dripping with knives. She was talking about Daisy, the only one my age coming along in this mission. She was parked in a van a few blocks away, our getaway driver if things got out of hand. 
I could hear her quietly humming to the car stereo through my earpiece, her voice very pitchy on the high notes. Although Daisy was a low-level socius, I wanted her on this mission because her, her ability to drive all vehicles at car-twirling speed was remarkable. The inside of the building was as, gold, was as cold and wet as the outside. The floor looked weathered and riddled with sticky puddles that were not the correct tint to be water. Follow me, Ivo said once we were all over the threshold and the door was firmly closed. We followed him down a poorly lit hallway and up a set of stairs that looked insecurely fastened to the walls. Good thing Kara wasn't here, or else she would have vomited with one look at the sketchy configuration of metal. Chloe took them in two strides, slinking up them like a cat. I, on the other hand, had to hold my legs to keep them from shaking along with the stairs, and behind me, I saw Sarah glaring at Sika to move. Tame your brooding, love, I'm going. He smirked at Sarah. At the top, the hallway split into three, jutting off into flickering darkness. Down there is the prisoner's wing. You will find who you are looking for. Ivo pointed to the right. Sika and Sarah's shoulders bumped as they scanned the room for potential threats. An arrow knocked on her bow, ready to fire, and a sword thrust in his hand, prepared to impale. They were hastily tromping while Chloe slipped into the darkness, appearing one minute, then gone the next. We looked through the cells, most of them only housing mangy mice, but a few had sleeping occupants in them. With the state of this place, it was no wonder half of the cells were empty. Simply by touching one of the walls, I would be afraid of getting dysentery. A familiar humming sound echoed through the hall. It grew louder the further we went, and soon I was darting to the origin of its noise, smiling as I beheld its singer. Hey, sissy, fancy seeing you here. Elijah sat arms over knees on an uncushioned bed. He looked worn, dark bags hung under his eyes and he twitched at every sound as if they were ghosts. Sika and Elijah were supposed to infiltrate this housing center and retrieve something special for Wes, but something had gone wrong before they even made it in. Elijah had been caught, and knowing this job needed to be done by more than one man, Sika called for backup. Of course you got a bed since you were so posh, Sika said putting his arm through the grimy bars and leaning in, a cocky smile on his face. Well, not all of us have a face like you, Sika. I can't use my puppy dog eyes seeing I don't have them. Beside me, Sarah blushed, and I bumped her to snap out of it. I chewed on my lip as I watched them. My brother was hiding it well, but he was furious and embarrassed that I had been the one to clean up his mess. Mare, why do you look so concerned? Elijah asked. The gesture reminded me of when our little brother Rowan looked up from a book and realized the natural world was in front of him. Because as much as I hate to say it, Meridian is smart, Chloe said, grinning at me. 
I rolled my eyes. It was just too easy, I mused. No guards, no alarms. Something isn't right. I stared at Chloe. The same question hung in her eyes. Who betrayed who to make this jailbreak so easy? Sarah, Sika, you get them out of there. Chloe, come with me. I touched my finger to the earpiece. Daisy, be ready with the van. Something feels off and we may need to get a quick exit. Pulling up now, she said, her voice shrill and crackling with static. Vanishing act all set up and waiting for your cue. Ivo, where is the central, se the central computer? I asked. Already, Sarah was pulling a control box off the wall and beginning to play with the wires, her fingers plucking them like guitar strings. Sika peered over her shoulder. The auburn-haired genius turned her head at him. Just curious, love, he said, hands raised as he stepped away. Sarah muttered something inaudible and went back to her work. I didn't miss the sympathetic glance Elijah gave Sika soon after. This way, said the Russian in nothing higher than a whisper, as if the rats would spread his words. We walked through the rest of the dank prison wing and into another, this one even more drafty than the last. I shivered as the stale air found the gaps in my suit. We came to a large room, the only place where the heater seemed to be working. In the middle of what looked like a cul-de-sac of motherboards sat a large computer with a glowing keyboard and mouse. It was the only room without water leaking from the ceiling or lights halfway off their sockets. It was shiny, glittery, and set to impress. Chloe did a quick 360 of the room. I could see the hairs on the back of her neck rise. As she slowly turned around, her face was bitter. Go trip the alarm, but wait five minutes before doing so, I said before she could question me. I may have left out a few key details when I was drilling them through the plans regarding this mission. Care to tell me why? She criticized. I'm mission leader, Chloe. I don't need to explain myself to you. She growled. We may have been friends now, but that didn't mean our roaring personalities remained untangled when we disagreed. Meridian, she started, then shut her mouth like a trap and honed in on my face. You trust me? I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have let you in here if I didn't, I almost said. Instead, I spurted, is there a reason I shouldn't? I just expected the spawn of West to be more conniving and reserved regarding who she gives her trust to, said Chloe. There wasn't any scorn or jealousy behind her words. She was truly curious. I think I've always trusted you, Chloe. Our egos were simply as too big to, that we couldn't get past. Your ego still is, I grinned. Chloe, despite herself, smiled and chuckled the faintest of laughs. Land on your feet, I whispered. Chloe slowly dipped her head 
and without another word slipped into the flashing darkness. From an outsider's point of view, the words would have sounded like advice. But not to us. Chloe knew what it meant. Be careful and go warn the others. We are not the only ones in this building. I approached the blue haloed computer and pulled out a small flash drive, plugging it into the short, thin base. Wait, wait, this was not part of the deal. Ivo stuttered as, she shuffled, as he shuffled towards me. Ivo, I didn't just come here for my friends, mate. His eyes hardened at the casual tone. Apparently Russians didn't fancy the word mate in a hostile setting. I began clicking away at the computer, scrolling through the malware. Tell no one of this task. It is yours to carry. Do not depend on the others to retrieve it, Meridian. Make me proud. The ever-present lectures of my father haunted my thoughts, stalking me through the darkness of the Russian storage facility. Once I found what I was looking for, I hit download a little too harshly. A large white bar popped up and started filling in as the percentile grew in the bottom right corner. Curiosity ticked at me. I wasn't told what was in the file, only the name. It was safer for us not to know the exact details of our missions, however annoying it was. Do right by you, Mare. Don't just follow blindly down the path set before you, Kara had said, in farewell. Stop! I spun around to find a hairy guard running towards me. This guard was not planned, not wanted, and a life that did not need to get tangled up in this mess. Don't just follow blindly. If Kara were here, I would tell her that I wasn't. That I set my own path, not that I that I set my own path and did not follow anyone else's. I was no puppet. I chose to follow my father's orders, but I had the ability to resist, though thinking it felt more like reassurance than truth. Ivo, what is the guard choked out a few words? just before a gunshot rang out. Shock jolted up my spine as my eyes flooded with light. The burly security guard, with his hand grabbing his throat as his uniform slowly drenched with blood, stared at me wide-eyed. He spat, shooting blood onto the cement floor as he fell to the ground with a resound thud. I flicked my eyes to Ivo, my fists clenched to keep them from trembling. Don't show weakness. The Russian's grin, the Russian's gun, was raised and shaking ever so slightly. I forced myself to not gasp. There were others. There were other ways we could have dealt with that guard. Our first resolve did not need to be shooting him in the neck. They're not good people, Meridian. I say, let them burn. Ivo had said at our first meeting. I only now understood the extent of what he meant. The only reason I did that was so you could fulfill the end of your bargain without going to jail. Now hurry up. Ivo holstered his weapon and faced away from the guard. 100% blinked across the street screen 
and relief rushed through me, almost knocking away all the knots that had twisted under my skin. I knew we were not alone, and thanks to Ivo, anyone who was within earshot now knew exactly where we were. We needed to leave before we got caught, or worse. Pulling the flash drive out, tucking it deep into my suit so its contents would not get lost, I walked over to the dead guard, urging my head to look away from his eyes. The once gray hue was fading, milky with the haze of death, a hue that was filled with the spirits of the damned and the souls of the lost. My father called my mother superstitious for thinking of death as much more than a punishment. That, journey, that a journey ensued after life was over. I never argued with either of them, but it was something in the way my mother stood her ground and her faith that I did not hesitate to believe her. Don't make me rethink your rank, my father had said before we left. I planned this mission. I assembled my team. I had to carry it out, or else. Thank you for your help. Rest assured, Ivo, I will fulfill my end of the deal. Unfortunately, my vo voice cracked on the last word, which had Ivo scrambling for his gun, but I closed the distance between us with such speed that it threw him off guard. I grabbed his gun and threw it across the room before he could even blink. It wasn't just my mission to get this drive, or to rescue my people. My breath hitched broke, and I had to pretend like I was inhaling his fear in order to compose myself enough to try again. It was also my mission to silence the informant who was leaking sensitive information to the Russian mafia. I only recently realized that it was you. Be careful what you tell people. I watched as Ivo's face morphed from confusion to anger to fear his skin growing paler by the second. You bitch, he spat, trying to shove away my hands and pry his back off the wall. We lost five good men because of what you leaked and could have lost more because of the information you still have. I'm sorry your family would not get to honor you. After all, you were trying to steal information and release prisoners traitorous activities, Ivo. This guard caught you, so you shot him, but not before he stabbed you. At least that is what they will think. We had a deal, he stammered. Yes, we did, Ivo. As long as you live, you will see me hand up, hold up the end of my bargain. And I did promise that I will protect you from them, I made no such vow regarding myself. I thrust out my sword and slowly inched it towards his side. He spat at me. I wanted to shake and wipe off the grime. Instead, I calmed my features and put to use everything my father had taught me. Because if I didn't, I would be a disgrace to Salas, to the League, and my father. The way I see it, I continued... You won't live much longer, so you won't have to worry about them hurting you. My deal ends with your death, I said. Make it slow, make it hurt, my father had told me before I left. 
Don't blindly follow orders, Mare. A nagging feeling gripped me. I was scared. I had never felt more ruthless, more like my father, and I hated it. Learned from Elijah's mistake. He failed his mission. Don't fail yours. I was sent to kill this man. But how would my father know if Ivo died slowly? No one was here except myself and the dead man walking. I lifted my sword and aimed it for Ivo's chest. The Russian's breathing slowed. Blood and spit dripping down the front of his mouth as I slowly pushed my blade in. He choked and gurgled, red inky liquid curling in his throat. My eyes never left his as light began to fade from them. Finally, his body settled. Ivo's fingers unclenched and peppered the ground one at a time as his form dropped along the wall and began to cradle the earth. He was dead. The lights were swinging. My first kill. The first heart that had stopped by my hand. My father told me it would be a revelation, an open door to my success to come. Then why did I feel so numb? Was it because he suffered before? Was it because I betrayed him? Or was it because his only crime was giving information to an organization that would have killed him if he hadn't? His only crime was trying to survive. A headache pooled in the tendrils of my brain. I wanted to run as fast as my feet would carry me. I wanted to find my mother and cry into her arms, to have her fingers weave through my hair. But I couldn't. We still had to get out of this rundown pit of a building. Meridian. Sarah ran in, her eyes zeroing in on the blood, then my face. I didn't know what I looked like, but I was sure it was a mix between fear and how a monkey would look if you shocked it with a taser. She gulped and put her hand on my shoulder, squeezing slightly. It was the mission, she said as if it was an excuse but a deep set of strain slithered across her eyes. She didn't agree with it either. You got the Elijah out? I asked, my voice husky. She nodded. We're waiting for you. Chloe came to us saying guards were entering the east door. We have to go. They can't see us or the plan won't work, I said. Every kill the League had done had been covered up. Ivo's death could be no different. The League had to be kept hidden. Sarah and I ran back to the prisoner's ward. The others were teetering on their feet, waiting for us. Sika and Elijah were squabbling while Chloe was half-bathed in the shadow of the cell. They're coming up the east staircase, Chloe said, her body striking into action. Sometimes I felt like she regularly stuffed a pole between her back to force her spine into an upright position. Turn right and follow the hallway down. There should be a door at the end that will lead you to me, Daisy said through the crack of the comms. Elijah's eyes found my hands and stayed there, his face frozen and blank. It was supposed to be his mission, his kill. His moment to rise and be the person our father wanted him to be. 
His eyes went slightly dark before he blinked and looked away. We planned for this, Chloe said, nodding at me. I took a deep breath, looked at the mall, and said, let's move. We followed the directions Daisy set for us, pausing when a guard got too close. Thank God Sarah knew her way around the security cameras or else we would be flying blind. We should have had ample time to get out before I tripped the alarm, Chloe grumbled. How did the guards get here so fast? The thought had been twisting inside my gut, too. I never We can worry about that later. For now, let's focus on how to stay hidden, I said. The idea was to trip the alarm so someone caught the two large men bleeding out in the computer room to help play into the lie we were creating. People would think the guard pulled the alarm before killing Ivo, and no one would realize a drive was missing. Footsteps rang out from the stairway above, heavy boots splashing through the damp ground. I thrust my hand out to tell everyone to flatten themselves against the musty, shadow-covered walls. When I was sure the guards were gone and out of earshot, I peeled myself away from the darkness, moving back into the coverage of the flickering lights. The others did the same. While this is a little less easy, Elijah whispered. Blimey, Elijah, thank you for that enlightening piece of information, snapped Sarah. She got short when she was nervous and jumpy when she was scared. It's all right, love. We'll be fine, Sika said. It only earned him a glare. The door to your left will bring you to a second set of stairs that drop straight down to me, said Daisy. A car engine rumbled in sync with her words. I slipped in first, folding into the darkness of the stairwell. It was a fire exit, though not regularly used, for cobwebs dusted every surface. Similar to the stairs in the middle of the building, these seemed, these seemed insufficiently fastened to the wall. They creaked as we raced down them. At the bottom of a stairwell was an alarmingly small door that butted up a little too close to the last stair. Sika and Elijah, as the tallest among us, would have to duck quite a bit to get through. There are no security cameras, so I can't see where you all are. But from the blueprints, I believe I'm on the other side of that door. Daisy's voice rang out again, sending an eerie screech through the earpiece. The size of this hall is rubbish. Yes, love, it is, Sika finished for Sarah. Stop calling me love, she snapped back. Muffled voices came from the other side of the door and I put my hand to my mouth to shut everyone up. This may not be Daisy on the other side, and I'd prefer to be ready to attack if it wasn't. Chloe had her daggers spinning in her palms. Sarah was ready with an arrow, knocked and pointed at the door. Elijah and Sika had their swords out, and I had my large daggers primed. Two clicks and a bang echoed through the stairwell, and a high-pitched whine came from the hinges. With a gush of cold air and snow-powdered mist, the door flew open, revealing a red-nosed, blonde-haired Daisy 
with snow riddled with a snow riddled black van behind her. She sighed loudly. Bloody hell, she mused. Chloe grumbled, annoyance straining her face. Daisy was not British. She was American, and as Chloe believed, British slang should only be used by the Brits. Now let's get out of Russia, Daisy pleaded, her eyes hasty. Yes, we needed to go. I didn't want any more reminders of the horrors of what I just did. Chapter 22 Sonara Tools littered the old wooden table in front of her, a table that still had a chip in the corner from when Ravenna and Sonara accidentally knocked off one of Abbasi's old figurines of a goofy-looking man with a beard. It had cracked on the corner and shattered onto the ground, splintering the wood. Abbasi's office, though his, had acted more as a public space. Everyone was in it all the time, either talking, asking for advice, eating, or simply wanting to be near their leader. Though now it was a room everyone did not dare to be in. Now, said Sora, leaning against the desk and inspecting one of his most prized tools. Unfortunately, my father told me not to touch that one. He pointed to Paxton with a dulled-down blade. Something about the boy being special. Jazara rose his brow, but said nothing as his son continued to speak. But he never told me I couldn't touch you. He pointed a knife straight at Sonara. The feet of Paxton's chair scraped against the stone as he shot out of his seat. Sora moved so, pa so fast, Sonara barely had time to blink. The demon of the league held a blade to her throat, the cold metal promising what was to come. She tried not to breathe. She couldn't speak. Any movement of her throat would have his blade slicing her skin. Booey, she thought, and imagined her sister's smile. Sonara's breath relaxed, though slightly. The demon chuckled in her ear. No doubt his eyes trained on Paxton, as were hers. The sound led Sonara's fingers to claw into the purple chair she was seated in, the rough fabric scratching her skin. Oh, little Paxton Alicia, Sora purred. You wouldn't want this beautiful neck to split, now would you? He moved his blade an inch away. To make room for the hand, he slid to Sonara's throat. Stay calm, stay brave. What would Ravenna do? She would have smiled at Sora's dare, but that was a thing Sonara's face was incapable of doing as every nerve in her body shook. Sit, little soldier, Sora cooed. Though Pax was hesitant, his eyes wide, he did what he was told. For her, he sat. Perhaps Sora could have done whatever he wanted to Paxton, and lied about not being able to touch him. Perhaps he said that just to rile them up. Sora's eyes gleamed with pure dominance. He leaned in close, dragging his nose along Sonara's neck and inhaling her scent. 
no doubt grinning as he watched Paxton sniff, stiffen. Sonara cringed, prying, praying the tears that were in the ducts of her eyes not to fall. Stay calm, stay strong, do not give Sora a reason to cause pain. But that was proving harder and harder to do, as the very cells in Sonara wanted to run. Sora finally released her and walked back over to the table. Sonara remained frozen. As it is, Sora drawled. People say anything to make the pain stop. So you may know what it is that we seek, and you may not. But if I make you scream, there is no way for me to know if what you breathe is the truth. He seemed bored now, not having the luxury to play with his toys. I will take your word for it that you don't know what I'm talking about this time. But I will be watching you and your little friends. If you make a move I don't like or show any indication of the words you speak today being a lie, I will not hesitate to lose my restraint. I tried to remind myself. I tried to, she tried to remind herself how to breathe. Stay safe, Sonara, or you will meet my blade again. Without another word from Sora or his father, they were pushed out into the hall and left in their frozen blooded state. Just as the door shut, she caught Jazara saying, Meridian got it. Wes's plan is closer to completion. Now we just need to finish up here. Fear ripped at Sonara until there was nothing left but sundered carnage. So the extent of... Sonara gulped, grabbing at her neck for words, for breath, for anything. Her fingers met a warm trickle of blood and cut that... And the cut that Sora had made sizzled to the touch. Sonara, Paxton gasped, his eyes wide and blinking at the door as if it would open again and thrust them straight into the world filled with pain. Sonara could not move. She saw water and waves, a dark ocean that so badly wanted to claim her. She could still feel Sora's breath on her neck, his cool blade edging into her skin. She wanted to be able to help herself, so she tried to steady her breathing, but she couldn't. The current was too strong, and she was too weak. She was trying to swallow air, but it was being stolen from her. Sonar stopped walking, stopped moving as she braced herself against the wall and shrunk. Weak, weak, weak. The words ravaged her. Sonara, Paxton whispered breathlessly as he brushed up to her side, his warmth and silken pale skin sliding over hers as he cupped her face and forced her to look at him. Her eyes closed, focusing on his touch, the way his sea scent made her skin come alive. Look at me, he whispered again, and Sonara obeyed. Breathe, look at me, and breathe. So Sonara did. She followed the movements Pax was making with his hands, in and out, and out. Breathe. He placed his forehead on hers, his skin silky, his skin sticky with sweat. Breathe. 
and she did. She kept breathing. She let him cup her cheeks and hold her forehead. Breathe, breathe, breathe. She did, and didn't even realize she was standing once more until Paxton pulled away and smiled. Worry and guilt floated in his, in his eyes, but he nodded, and so did she. So Sonara took one more breath and began walking again. Sonara! Her eyes shot to the stairs in front of her, and once again her blood turned cold. Oh, don't you look perfectly delicious today, Aspen droned on. Did you take a trip to a mortuary, or do you just look like death because you chose to? Her smile was mischievous, as if she was winning a game only she wanted to play. I see you met Sora, she went on. He's chipper, isn't he? Aspen took a step forward, leaning in. The only piece of advice I would give you, Sparky, listen to what they tell you, and do what they ask of you. Aspen gestured to the two men in the room filled with shadows. They are gods who can hold the world in their hands if they wish. You and your people are nothing but ants they would be more than happy to squash. So do as you're told. A small ember lit in Sonara's core, enough for her to say, There are many gods, Aspen, and I believe they are watching over us. But those men are not them, and neither are you. Sonara's deep golden eyes were puny daggers attempting to pierce the hard shield of armor that was Aspen Drake's face. A chilling laugh rolled out of her mouth as she waved her fingers at Sonara. Tati bye, she said, and then she was gone and into the room with the men who were not gods, but certainly held the world in their hands. Paxton and, Sama and Sonara made their way back to the barracks. I'm so sorry, he whispered so quietly it could have been a mistake it could have been mistaken for the song of a bird. Sonara saw his eyes and knew what he was thinking. He said she would he said he would protect her, would protect the home he had grown to love. But he had failed. You have nothing to be sorry for, she whispered just as softly. Paxton stopped. Sonara, I... His voice broke. I should have done something. Sonara lifted his face so she could see those brilliant eyes once again. She smiled softly. If you had done something, I wouldn't be here right now. She would have been dead, or cut up to the point where no healer could make heads or tails of where to start fixing her. Paxton's eyes fell to the cut on Sonara's cheek. And slowly, as if the action would cause more pain, he touched the spot where blood was now dried. His skin sang over hers, his rough fingers gently brushing the tender part just above the cut. It made her breath catch as she grasped for words. He lifted his face to meet her stare, his hands remaining on her neck. An ember glowed in Sonara and the ocean that was her mind balked just a bit. We will get through this, she whispered, because she found the strength to do so, as we always have. 
His hands moved from her neck and slowly cupped her cheek. As we always have, he whispered. Paxton had pulled her out of the storm. He helped make her ember grow. She wanted to be able to save herself, but perhaps she could let him help her do that as well. Pax, Sonara breathed, her nose inching closer to his, so slowly, too slowly, and yet as much as her head told her to pull away, that those feelings mixing in the air between them would not come to, unhappy, to a happy end, she still inched closer. He opened his mouth. Sonara. Only it was not his voice who spoke it. Story stood at the end of the hall, a dusty old book in her hands. Um, Carlo needs to see you too? She said, her eyes wide as she desperately tried to suppress a smile. She winced as if to say sorry. A few minutes later, walking into the barrack, Sonara saw Carlo sitting on his bed with rumpled sheets and disheveled pillows as if sleep had always been an issue, which no doubt it had. Cook stood in the corner, the hem of her tan dress dusty with flour. We need to look for it, she said simply, and we can't let them know. Sonara opened and closed her mouth. How had Cook known what was discussed in the office? She was about to ask before Paxton beat her to it. Do you even know what it is? Cook patted her dress, flower fogging up the air around her. No, I don't. But if Neath hid it, she must have known they would stop at nothing to get it. Something flickered in her deep onyx eyes, but there was something hidden in her gaze. What do you know? Sonara asked. There was this story, Cook started. I once heard about a warrior who came to Itahad. She was born to an organization whose prime objective was to corrupt. Like the League? Paxton asked, leaning against the door. Cook shook her head. No, it's different. The world knew of them, but they were powerful, influential, influential enough that they couldn't be caught. A mob? Story asked. Of sorts. Cook paused, her gaze distant. The warrior's name was Liliana. Carlo averted his gaze, staring at the floor. I've heard this story, said Sonara. Abasi told Ravenna and I. When my sister was really little, there was a threat on our borders. And one night, being the mischievous thing she is, Ravenna went to the den to look for her father. She was around the falls when a figure appeared and snatched her up. Only it wasn't Abasi. Cook nodded as Sonara continued. Abasi said there was a corrupt organization in the world, and one of them knew about Itahad and the League and sought to use it against them. But there was a warrior of their own making who came and saved Ravenna. Liliana, Abasi said. He told us her name was Liliana and that as soon as she saved Ravenna, she was gone. What does that have to do with whatever it is they want? Pax cut in. Cook slid her eyes to him, glaring as if to tell him to shut his trap. 
Liliana was a part of the Chinese triad, a group that deals in drugs, money, and people. Rumor is that the League was trying to get to them. I don't know what for, but I'm betting it wasn't good. Maybe whatever it is as a way to do that. I think when Roshin came, I think when Roshin came was around the time Liliana saved Ravenna from the triad crony. They all nodded. It was another layer to the story she had been told. And yet there was still more to be uncovered. She knew it. Something that connected the League to Itahad more than blood. How do you suppose we find it? Sonara asked. That word was becoming as annoying as the face of Aspen Drake. When we don't know what she hid exactly, and we don't know why the League wants it, even if it involves this triad, a knowing smile split Cook's face into something that resembled the portraits of saints and gods which adorned Itahad's library. I think it's time Carlo and I showed you something. Cook wandered over to the little dresser in the corner of the room, which was packed to the gills with men's clothing. Carlo shared his barrack with the surviving elder men of Itahad, Story's father being one of them. Cook shoved the spillage of clothes back into the drawer and drawer an attempt to slam it shut. Small and quiet swears spilling from her lips about men definitely dying if being tidy was a survival tactic. Cook, Paxton started. Oh, shush, Pax, and come here, all of you. Cook held something in her hands, wrapped her fingers around it as if it was the most precious thing in the world. You may be wondering how Carlo and I knew what was said in the office she said, teetering on her toes. We use these. With a slight tremor, she opened her hands. Sonara had to stifle a retort. Um, Cook, said Pax, who was clearly not trying to hide his turmoil. Those are rocks. By the look on Cook's face, she was going to hit him with, with said rocks if he didn't stop talking. You people have no imagination, she said. Beside Sonara, Story stilled, her tall but small form going rigid. Are those? She started. Her dainty fingers shook, reaching out to the rocks in Cook's hands. Are those keystones? The, are they what now? Sonara asked. Keystones, Cook repeated. And yes, yes they are. She turned over the flat round stones its color so black that it could have been pure onyx. As its surface grazed her skin, a golden insignia appeared on the other side, two wings with a lotus flower in the middle. Sonara stared at the strange objects. Could these be what Sora is after? She asked. They were definitely an it, but since everyone failed to share with the specific it the League was looking for, Sonara didn't know what qualified. Cook and Carlo shook their heads at the same time. No, the League doesn't know anything about these. No one but the Knox family does, said Carlo. Then how do you, Cook, and Story know about them? Sonara asked. 
because I read, story blurted. If you and Pax care to do so as well, you might find a mention of them in our old history books. Paxton scoffed. I read, he whispered. Oh, yeah? When was the last time you picked up a book and let, unless it was to be used in training with Talon? Sonara chided. He simply scoffed again, a grin edging its way onto his face. Sonara turned her eyes away from him and back to Cook. What is it exactly that they do? she asked. Cook walked over to the wall mirroring the door and pressed one of the stones to it. The insignia began to glow. Sonara's breath stilled as the floor beneath her feet rumbled, the vibration edging into her bones. With a smile on Cook's face, she stepped aside to reveal the wall moving in front of her. It moved back into the side, revealing a darkened hall with cobwebs adorning the ceilings as if they were chandeliers. Paxton gasped, his feet stumbling forward to the hidden hall within the mountain. He grabbed the black stone from Cook's hand and began to inspect the thing. He went into the tunnel to see the other side of the stone door, then flipped his head back into the room and waved the small rock around the space Cook had placed it. How? He began mumbling, circling the hidden door a few more times. What does it lead to? Sonara asked, walking over to pull Paxton, who was peeking under the crack in the door, off the ground. Is that what I think it is? asked Story, who was now on the ground with Paxton, trying to figure out how the passageway worked. She got up after she was satisfied Pax could figure out the myth mystical door and turned to Cook, saying, There was a story Amaluli used to tell me about a man who was as clever as a fox and just as sneaky. She said this man was the brother of the first Milka, or Malik, the first Knox. The man wanted a way for Itahad to slip through Hajir and into the jungle beyond without being seen, so he carved up a complex set of tunnels that only he could follow. The tunnels were said to be a maze, that his plan failed because whenever someone went in, they were lost to the mountain, so they boarded it up and threw away the keys. Literally. An interesting bedtime story for a grandmother to tell her granddaughter. Certainly one that would spook Sonara out of wandering Hajir alone. It's true these tunnels are a maze. It's why Obasi and Neith kept the keystones hidden so no one would go exploring and never come out, said Cook. Carlo and I found them in Obasi's office before Jazara took complete control, and we have been hiding them ever since. Sonara stepped back, the cold breeze from the tunnel making her hair furl. If you knew about these, then why? Why didn't you use them to get our people out? The whole room went quiet. Even Story and Paxton drew their gazes away from the passages to look at her and Cook. Cook dropped her head. Dropped her head. Because I was afraid we would all get lost to the mountain. We had the keystones, but we didn't have the map. Amaluli said the map was lost to the jungle when the man long ago shut away the tunnels, Story mused. 
Cook took a step towards Sonara. If we had taken these, there was no way of knowing how to get out. If we would get out. And with that many people, I... Sonara nodded. She had been scared. She could understand that. Magnets, Pax said Paxton. The fingernail of his thumb crunched between his two front teeth. The black stone is a magnet. There is a metal piece in the wall, and when the stone is placed over the metal, it unlocks and releases the cable inside the door to make it open. His eyes glittered. It's practically on a track, so it simply moves aside. He stood back, rocking on his heels as if proud of himself. What about the glowy bit? Sonara asked, lifting the stone to his face and pointing at the insignia on it. He moved his thumbnail back between his teeth, his brow scrunched. I'm guessing it lights up when the stone is in front of the metal mechanism in the door, so you know the right place to put it. Maybe an element in the gold hue makes it light up when it's close to metal, Carlo offered. Paxton teetered on his feet, most likely contemplating what on earth could do that. Sonara stared at the hall beyond the door. A cold breeze beckoned her, a soft, musty air that smelled of mildew and faint lilies. It was a hall that could have saved them, or could have been an even greater doom. She breathed, once, twice, until her lungs were flowing with the lily mildew scent. I'm going in, she whispered. There is a reason we didn't use them before, Sonara, said Carlo. There is no map. You could get lost forever down there. I don't care. If there is a way to navigate them, then I'm going in. She balled up her hands until her palms stung from her fingernails' impact with her skin. You use them, she said, turning towards Cook and Carlo. Yeah, said Cook, not so secretly reaching for the keystones in Sonara's hand. But that was the first level of the tunnels. Those are easy to navigate. Knowing you, you will scour every inch of the place until you can make a map of your own. Paxton opened his mouth to retort or agree, but Sonara cut him off. I know Ravenna is the tracker, and better with navigation. But Anox made these tunnels. It's about time Anox figured out how to use them. The room went silent again. Then I'm going with you, said Story, grasping Sonara's hand with hers. I always loved Amalulu's stories anyway. It's about time I got to see her tales become a reality. I'm going too, said Pax. Like you always say, we're going to get through it, as we always have. Besides, Ravenna isn't the only tracker. I happen to be good with navigation myself. Sonara grinned. Then let's go meet the heart of our mountain, she said. And without another word... She stepped across the stone threshold and into the chilled air of the passageways. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Individuation Podcast. A special thank you to Dylan for coming on. We look forward to part 7 of 13 coming this Tuesday. Tuning in next time to the Individuation Podcast for another episode soon.
we at the Institute of Conflict greatly appreciate all of you listeners. Please share the podcast with your friends and spread the word. If you would like to help expand our community, like us on Facebook and Instagram and give us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Sonia Mahmood and you've just listened to the Institute of Conflict Individuation Podcast. We'll be back soon.